Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Badlands podcast. The only podcast out there that is 100% chiselled and it's probably part of the Chairshot Media Group. I am Mags and back once again like a renegade master is my podcast wife, Mr Paul Tyler. Paul, how are you? I'm good, cheers. I'm sad, I missed you last week. Yeah, and it was a really good episode uh, with, uh, with Jana's um he's uh he's angling for a, a return i think both episodes that we've had with jonas is uh you you've unfortunately not been available so no i think i, I think i was on the first one the it was the, a draft i think it was in your your exodus okay I, I, I feel like i was i feel like i was on him but anyway anyway ne- next time i'll next time i'll be there how are you how are you yeah not too bad uh busy week this week and then i've been struck down with man flu definitely not uh definitely not covid 19 uh are you sure yeah um well we'll we'll find out if i'm here for next week's episode <laughs> <laughs> but with that um let's introduce our guest one of our uh favorite people from the very early days of of uh of badlands he was he was like part of our team from day one uh Broke off onto his own. He's doing absolutely amazing things in uh, in uh, content creation. It's the one and only Kurt, and I'm going to get it right this time because last time I uh, I hedged my bets with both podcasts. It's Kurt Johansson. Kurt, how are you, sir? Uh, you got it right, and I should hope you get it right since you insulted <laughs> me before we even started recording. Uh, <laughs> uh, boys, it's a pleasure being back. Like two of my favourite people, especially in terms of the content creating. I think what you're doing has just been it was original and authentic and um it can be often imitated but it's never been duplicated and that's why some people only do it as one offs because they see your content and think, Oh, that's good and realise they don't have the magic. So happy to be on the Mount Rushmore of Mount Rushmore podcasts. <laughs> oh, <please. laughs> Thank you very much. Wow. Oh, so I, I, I love the feedback from from uh, the people who've been on the show. It's, for me, it's never been about the numbers or or the kind of fame. It's always been about enjoying the conversation. We we've always had a good time when uh, when you've been on uh, Kurt. But your content has really changed since you were last on. Uh, when you were uh, first on the show, you were part of the 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 former Wrestle Force group uh, with the Ringsiders, and then you've uh, you've really broke out on your own. Uh, you had a kind of a, a period where you were probably falling out of love with with creating content, maybe, and yeah. you had like a lot of upheaval in in your personal life. But over these last five or six months, you have 
started knocking it out of the park and really kind of trailblazing with with some of the the content you're putting out, really kind of showcasing uh, wrestling that perhaps not a lot of people have seen. Uh, what what is it that's kind of brought that passion back to content creating for you? Um, I just think too many cooks in the kitchen, um, and it's no disrespect to them. It was just. I think we saw different things would clash and I thought, right, I'm going to do my own stuff. And I was doing both and it worked for some extent. Mm-hmm. And then and we started doing some good stuff. And then again, the same problems. And I thought, you know what, at this point, I'd be speaking to yourself. I was falling out of love with it. I was like, I don't even know if I want to keep doing it. And that's when I'd spoke to, uh, especially Callum, he was very understanding with it. I was like, look, he understood why I needed to go. And they're doing great stuff. Like hats off to them. They're doing great um, over at Ringsiders. But I just felt I had to go on it on my own so I could control my own narrative, I guess. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I was Kurt's Angle podcast, and I thought <clears throat> I had a couple of opportunities coming up. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to try and make myself as the brand. And then that's when it changed to the Kate Johansson show. And yeah, my content's just changed massively. <laughs> Yes, uh, and and that's why for our opener, obviously with you being on the show before, and we can't get your kind of Matt Rushmore of great stresses. I thought it'd be interesting to see uh, your view and what you look back at, at, at for kind of uh, episodes or interviews that that would make your Matt Rushmore of your current content. Wow, um, it was really hard. Like when you, like when I try and think of it, I've made so many friends through people that I've interviewed, where we speak personally and. Um, they've helped me by referring guests and stuff like that. Um, so, and it was just one of those. I'm passionate about learning about different cultures. Obviously, I spent some time living in Tanzania, and my family's got a very rich, different background, black South African. I've got Muslim relatives, and it was always, I wanted to, I've always loved having a look at football in all these different countries. Like, I'm doing football manager, and I'm managing in the Tanzanian Football League. And I thought, you know what? I want to try and do that to football. And it goes for my first Mount Rushmore pick would be my interview with Shalkat. I think that one's got, again, views. It's not a big thing. However, I always appreciate to see that people are tuning in, especially since I was very insecure going by myself because <laughs> if it wasn't working, there could have been two other reasons. But now it's all on me. And it's got over a 1,000 views. And Shalkat was the creator of wrestling in malaysia mm-hmm. and he created the scene he was the first ever wrestler out there and his story was just amazing and it made me fall in love with it and i thought you know what i need to do more of this and since then i've looked into southeast asia where i've interviewed what malaysia the philippines singapore um one that's not been released is with gaia hawks from taiwan i've had ho ho lun so hong kong i've had china and it's just been eye-opening like this passion and the different culture but how wrestling still brings it all together and yeah Shalkat kind of shaped how the Kate Johansson show is yeah I agree and I, I, I can quickly run through the ones that really stood out to me uh Shalkat is, is the first one I think that was when you kind of that was your marker to say this is what my show is going to be about. Um, and like I said, it brought Malaysian and Singaporean wrestling to the masses. Um, and it really kind of stood out for me that this was you uh, drawing your line in the sand. Then I've gone with the uh, 
uh, El Maceus and Ricky Banderas I interviewed. I felt that in a world where every wrestler gets interviewed on podcasts, that stands out because of the kind of approach you went with uh, talking to the character and then talking to the man behind the character. I thought that was a really clever way of, uh, of standing out from the crowd. Um, the next one I've gone with is uh, Christian Nielsen. Uh, with that highlight of uh, Scandi Graps and Body Slam Pro, um, and really kind of like showcasing what what uh, Northern Europe wrestling is all about. Yeah. And then the last one I've got to go with is Luke Omega Luke, because he's our boy. He's uh, <laughs> he's doing it in reach, uh, even though he recently lost to a cameraman. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's good to see someone who we've kind of. Uh, known over these last couple of years really kind of uh pushing and 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 become a, an actual professional wrestler living the dream so yeah they've been my four it's uh, interesting continue with yours it's interesting you say that because i'd put torn between because for the fourth spot i couldn't really choose and elmer size was one of them just because the name value the guy is the one of the biggest names in triple a in the modern era and then there's joel redman just because again the name value I've always re- um, respected his body of work, and since then Joel's been um, suggesting me to other wrestlers, and they reached out saying, "Hey, I've heard about your show. Would would you want me on it?" Or vice versa, where Joel's like, "Hey, this person's expected a message. Reach out to him." And that got me my Gianni Valletta interview, who created wrestling in Malta, wrestling in all Japan, and the fact that people like Joel put their name on the on the line for myself is always like appreciative Dean Allmark, Omega Luke there some that I was torn between and Alexis Lee like Alexis mm-hmm. Lee the first Singaporean female wrestler again I've become good friends with her she ended up sending stuff in the mail from Singapore uh, two baby girls and a little baby jumper for my daughter Malia oh, uh, that's amazing yeah and it's just like I've been trying to get her over her over here in the UK which I'm going to try um and she's just an amazing person. but So I'm kind of torn between them. So I can't really pick a fourth um, because of that, I think. I'd probably go with Alexis Lee out of those four. But the other two would be Christian from Body Slam. Um, because, again, it was just such a fun chat. Like It was talking Scandi Graps, was talking Body Slam and Danish wrestling. But it was just talking about our passion for wrestling and... Again, everybody seemed to like that. I'm going to get Christian on for a second show, and that kind of proper kick-started my passion of Scandinavian wrestling, where I've done numerous interviews with the different companies in Denmark. I've got a couple from Sweden coming out. I've got one Norway that I've recorded and um, going to be doing, and then for the new year, I've got people booked in from Sweden and Norway and more Danish wrestlers, so... Yeah, that's definitely on the Mount Rushmore. So Alexis Lee, Christian from Body Slam, Shalcat. And the fourth has to be Emily Hayden, the first show of the rebrand of the Kate Johansson show. We'd recorded this as Kurt's Angle podcast and the um, Speaking Out movement happened. And that's when I I just dropped everything. I wasn't releasing anything. And yeah. actually on that show, we spoke about inappropriate fans um, and how they come across to her being a female athlete and we spoke about mental health quite passionately both of us um because it's something we've both suffered with and again that's um somebody that i've become really close friends with we're going to be doing a show in the new year was hoping to get one done but obviously when we're having a daughter it's quite difficult 
but it's going to be like wrestle pals that what that's what we call each of them we're going to do show where it's not about wrestling just anything else comics gaming horror um so i'm really looking forward to that and again i think that's the top interview just because of the friendship it's made with myself and emily and I'm looking forward with my new role with Feast Females as their online interviewer and potentially doing stuff at live shows. I'm excited to do more work with Emily going forward because I think she's fantastic and she's got some great stuff coming up, which obviously I can't mention yet. Yes, it's really, really cool to see you kind of like back with the passion for content creation because I've always thought that you're one of the, the more talented uh, of the Brain Buster group, and you had some uh, amazing ideas and 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 concepts, and it's cool to see you not not kind of wither away and really kind of like embrace content creation. Yeah, you're absolutely smashing it. No, it means a lot, and I've got to thank you for that though. Um, yourself and Foul were the two people that I confided in with name changes. Like even when I first did my original show was with you, me speaking to you, and then when I was going through the rebrand and everything that I've had going on, either personal life or in the content creating world, you've always been that voice of reason and the person to keep pushing me forward. And when I needed it most, when I wanted to give up, you was the one telling me you'd be stupid to do it. You need to keep going. So massive like thanks to you, Max, because I probably wouldn't be doing this right now if it weren't for you. I'd have jacked it all together. It's absolutely been my pleasure. It's my pleasure to see you see you grow and and totally outshine the rest of us. <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> right, oh, guys, that so, was really nice and heartfelt. <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, it? Shall we get into this main topic now? Uh, a, an interesting one. Um, I thought we'd we'd speak about transitional champions now obviously with uh with especially with WWE now you could probably call every champion a transitional champion because they hot shot the titles so much but um I thought it'd be fun to to come up with a couple of Mount Rushmore's of people who who are transitional champions whether they are career-long transitional champions and that's been their role or whether it's uh someone who, who you wouldn't ordinarily have expected to be a transitional champion but Okay, let's go to you for your first one. Uh, who's your first on your Matt Rushmore transitional champions? Well, one of the surprising ones, and I'll go with it off the bat, would be one of my favourite wrestlers of all time and probably the biggest movie star in the world right now is obviously Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I think when you look at his, what, I think it's about seven reigns in total, eight reigns uh, maybe. I think eight. Eight yeah. reigns, yeah. Um, first reign, well... Out of these eight reigns, only one of them has lasted over 100 days, which was his fifth reign. Everything else was like 40 days, and it was like eight days sometimes. And first reign, obviously, beating Mankind for the vacant title and then dropped it 44 days later to Mankind in a match that a lot of people said changed the face of like the Monday Night Wars, Mankind's first reign. Real heartfelt moment. Obviously, WCW was laughing about it, and turns out their fans was interested in that more than their product and changed over. And then when you start looking back, he gets a belt again a month later, drops it at that halftime heat to Mankind in the empty arena. Again, another historic time. And then I believe it was gets it back, drops it to Austin. And that's three reigns from November 98 to March 99 three transitional reigns, both for Mankind and then the one with Austin. And then he started doing it with Triple H. Beat Triple H, loses it, I think a month later, to Triple H. And then fifth reign, it was 
I think his longest reign, 119 days, dropped it to Kurt Angle for Angle's first reign in 2001. So he's given Mankind his first reign. He's given Kurt Angle his first reign. And then he kind of went away. Then he takes it off Angle again to drop it to Austin at Mania. Like, because it had been a bigger deal for Austin beating Rock rather than Austin beating Angle at that point. Seventh reign was probably the biggest transit, one of the biggest transit, taking the belt off Undertaker to then drop it to Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam 2000. I think when you have somebody the magnitude of Rock to drop the belt to a rookie like Brock Lesnar at the time, maybe Brock Lesnar wouldn't be Brock Lesnar if it wasn't for Rock putting him over at SummerSlam. And then you fast forward 11 years, takes the belt off Punk for reign number, uh, reign number eight, and then drops it to Cena at WrestleMania to kind of close their chapter. And I think, thinking back for somebody who's one of the most popular wrestlers of all time, he's not had long title reigns, and every loss really did mean something. Yeah, it's a it's a great pick, and um, I think it shows the kind of star power of the Rock that he was able to to not have these long reigns as champion, but still be one of the the top guys and and use his his rub to to put over other guys. Like you said, the 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 um, Brock Lesnar one, he he with his stature, he didn't need to to do that. Um, if if you remember, uh, Stone Cold threw his toys out the pram at the the thought of having to lose to Brock Lesnar, yeah. uh, and then the arguably the second biggest star at that time, The Rock, was was more than willing to to put the the next big thing over it uh, at SummerSlam. So yeah, it's a, a great pick. Yeah, we 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 um, pointed out a lot on the the overall Mount Rushmore we've got. He's in the top four of of our. Of our of our votes yet he's fought thousands fewer matches than than anyone else around him on that list and uh and it's it just as as you say i think he he did so much with so little time and so in some ways so little opportunity yeah 100 and and his career was what uh at the peak four Four to five years yeah four five years yeah because what first title in 98 Last title reign was 2002 until he came back 11 years later. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, what a guy. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and he's still like, uh, looked at with, with in, in so much revere that people absolutely adore him. Um, yeah. And like I said, he's, he's literally the biggest movie star in the world today. So <laughs> it's a great pick. Um, I had him on my uh, short list. I, 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 picked, I picked specific reigns. And uh, I had the the Rock beating CM Punk, and and then dropping to Cena as as one as one of my shortlist picks, because I, I just think in ter- in terms he did exactly what needed to be done as a transitional champion in that yeah. in that in that part because CM Punk was so popular even though he was a heel he was so popular with the fans, no one else would have got away with doing that, uh, ousting him from the WrestleMania main event, a- a- any other wrestler and that WrestleMania main event would have been shot on by the fans. Yeah, like I always remember that because I always remember Punk saying, "Your arms are just too short to box with God." Yeah, and the whole thing, like you said, nobody would be able to get the belt off Punk and then drop it to Cena a couple months later without everybody losing the shit. And I've I've gone for the same kind of approach as Paul with mine. I've gone for specific kind of reigns, but uh, yeah, I really do think that's a great pick. Uh, looking at his career in a whole, and 
and it, it's looking back, it, it's he's almost the epitome of a transitional champion. Uh, like I said, with with the really short reigns and and kind of giving the rub to all the uh, all these other talents. So it's a, an outstanding pick, um, Paul. Since seeing as you weren't here last week, I uh, I let you go first again this week. See which uh which pick I'm vetoing because uh, you've been very, very tactical with your vetoes recently. And I think <laughs> it's uh, about time you got knocked down a peg or two. I, I think you'll be hard pressed to, to veto this one because as, as soon as, as soon as the topic came out, this is my, my first thought was of this guy or, or, or the, the actual, the guy who lost. And I think it's probably one of those famous um, transitional champions of all time. I immediately thought of um, Bruno San Martino. Um, uh, back in 1971, he uh, he was uh, he was basically he, he was the star of of the WWF as it was then. He was the star. It's the star of wrestling. He was until Hulk Hogan. He was the the most famous, biggest wrestler in the world. And um, obviously, WWF at that time based out of New York um, and and targeted their product to uh, kind of New York's largely immigrant population so here you had um, Bruno San Martino an, an immigrant from Italy kind of the personification of the American dream true kind of blue collar hero to all New Yorkers he's the king of Madison Square Garden uh, when he was when he was headlining Madison Square Garden Madison Square Garden sold out and he did it 187 times um, so in the 1960s into, into 70s, Bruno Sammartino, he, he was wrestling. Um, and uh, he he first won the champion, the, the WWW, oh, that's a really difficult one to say, <laughs> w, Triple WF champion <laughs> for, the, for the first time in 1963. And he embarked on a, a seven years and eight month title reign, um, which is just crazy, crazy to imagine. In this day and age, um, but it's a title reign that took its toll on him. Um, and in 1971, he, he asked um, Vince Man Sr. for a break. Um, so, so Triple WF, I'm going to keep calling them that. We're torn. They they didn't want to break their formula of of kind of uh, this this New York immigrant defeats all comers from all over the world. Um, but they also didn't want to see. Um, Bruno Sammartino defeated by another face. It kind of what face versus face wasn't the done thing for a big title, and it wasn't really a, a big draw. So, um, so they had their they had the guy ready. They handpicked their their next Bruno Sammartino, and that was that was Pedro Pedro Morales, mm-hmm. who was a, another popular Puerto Rican uh, immigrant living in New York. He's a perfect replacement. Um, so they had to get they had to get the title there, and they called upon uh, a Canadian guy called Oriol Perez. Who was a package of the Russian beer Ivan Koloff? Um, so again, to play off this whole um, hero of New York fighting the big bad foreign threat, always managed by one of by one of Triple WS Motley crew of evil managers, and this time it was my favourite, Captain Lou Albano. What Jesus! <laughs> like, the amount of effort and like history there. Mags would be a proper dick to say Vito right now. <laughs> he would, wouldn't he? I haven't finished yet either. Um, <laughs> so to, to the 22,000 fans in attendance and like the thousands that were turned to, that often turned away from Madison Square Garden, this was another routine victory for Bruno and, and the USA. But to the absolute shock of everyone, um, Bruno lost. Uh, Ivan Koloff won. And uh, it was greeted by a silence that famously made Bruno 
San Martino think that the the knee drop that Koloff had landed on him had, had caused him to lose his lose his hearing. Um, so I've, I've gone for Ivan Koloff because it, it was an un, a historic, unbelievable victory, the end to the first great reign of Bruno San Martino, and um, and uh, it was really carefully stage managed as well. I was kind of, kind of reading up on it. Um, because after the silence, the crowd were quite hang- angry. You know, they'd seen their hero lose to a Russian, um, which, which uh, in the seventies was 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 not popular. But um, San Martino played his part. He distracted the crowd as Koloff made his exit. They didn't present him with the title because they thought that would be too much for the crowd. Um, so it was all very carefully stage managed to to avoid a, a riot. And Koloff would go on to hold the title for just twenty one days and then lose it to. Um, Pedro Morales, who would then go on to be the new hero of New York and, and, and be the champion for 1,027 days when Bruno returned and uh, Bruno, Bruno Sammartino defeated another transitional champion in Stan Stasiak, who'd beaten Morales nine days earlier. It's, it, I want to be a dick. I want to veto because I haven't vetoed Paul in such a long time uh, and he did veto Barry Darso, but <laughs> You're right. It's it's a time when wrestling champions were the champion for such a long time. Uh, to to get from face to face, it was a massive, massive thing. And you look at the records of, uh, of, of the the lineage of the WWF title, and you you, you see the huge reigns of uh, Sabatino, then the huge reigns of uh, Pedro Morales, and you you kind of overlook. Uh, Ivan Koloff and you overlook Stan Stasiak and that's exactly what the transitional champion is meant to be um, so yeah he's a, a very worthy pick and I can't I can't veto Bruno Sammartino getting on a Mount Rushmore <laughs> it's, it, it's against every fibre of my wrestling being you'd get shot <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to keep making it hard for you well, good luck because I am very itchy with this veto trigger. Uh, <laughs> but let's go back to you, Kurt, for your second pick. You're not doing yours, Max? No, I'll uh, I'll demand uh, it go you, us, you, us, you, us. Okay. So my second one, I was going to do Sasha Banks just because would Charlotte be as big as she is without dropping it and then beating Sasha at the first time of trying constantly, probably not. But I just feel like the title reigns weren't meaningful enough to be a big deal. So I kind of vetoed her myself and give her the swift kiss. Self-vetoing. So, <laughs> the one that would be replacing, and it was like a last-minute thing where I was like, why didn't I think of this before, would be Hiroshi Tanahashi. I think the ace of New Japan, for all of his title reigns, you've seen him like help get Styles over, dropping the belt to Styles over the years, dropping to Jay White, and so on and so forth. But I think the main transition in New Japan where the shift really changed was 2012, and the show name was fitting at the new beginning. Uh, I think Tanahashi had the belt for over 400 days, gone through the full calendar year, and then he faces Kazichika Okada. And again, new beginning 2012, Okada defronts Tanahashi for his first title reign. And I think that was the first time people thought, actually, this 
this could be it for um, Tanahashi. And Okada had the belt for just over 100 days, dropped it to Tanahashi, who went 295 with it. And then again, Okada picks the title off Tanahashi, which, again, I think is just... With those two transitions in itself, I think that's what solidified Kazuchika Okada to be the new prize jewel of New Japan and then go on to being arguably one of the best wrestlers in the world today. Yeah, uh, I I love that pick. And I think we get a lot of our kind of comparisons with Tanahashi and Cena uh, in the WWE, uh, which I understand because they're kind of like the, like I said, the ace of the show. But I I think the difference is that Tanahashi's never outstayed his welcome at the top of the tree. It was always, it was never any issues of him uh, helping other talents rise to the top where you hear lots and lots of stories of Cena kind of like holding other people down, um, which, I mean, the guy did carry the WWF on his back. I understand that, but the same could be easily said for, for Tanahashi. Um, and yeah, the way he kind of made Okada, the way he kind of uh, um, helped make um, Omega, and then uh, he was always the safe pair of hands whenever there was a transition. You know that you can put the belt on Tanasha, it still stays legitimate, and then whoever beats him gets that huge rub. It's a it's an outstanding pick. Yeah, great pick. Thank you. <laughs> You're up, Max. <sighs> I just need to correct what, what you said to Kurt. You, you said uh, I go, then he goes, then you go, then he goes. It's 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 uh, Kurt, me, you, I veto, then Kurt. Oh, yeah. well, we'll see, we'll see. Um, <laughs> for me, for me, the way I've approached it, my picks is that I've gone for single reigns as uh, as like uh, examples of uh, transitional champions. Uh, they're not necessarily. Uh, career-long transitional champions. But the first one uh, I'm going to go with, there's no escape in the fact that this was a transitional uh, title reign and he was not even a career-long transitional champion. It was literally his biggest reign and it lasted a couple of days. Uh, so I'm going with the Mountie. So, oh. so uh, Jack Rizzo, obviously, we know, broke into wrestling in the late 70s. Uh, and it was uh, part of a, what I'd consider a very underrated wrestling family with the Rougeaus. Um Spent the early part of his career with uh, Stu Hart's uh, Stan, uh, Stampede Wrestling promotion. And then him and his brother Raymond were signed to the WRF in 1985. And they'd be uh, huge fixtures in the tag division, uh, having feuds with the likes of the Dream Team of uh, Valentine and Beefcake. Uh, Heart Foundation, Moon Dogs. Um, they'd actually have uh, a, a, a run as champion, but it was never officially recognised because they beat the Heart Foundation for the titles, and then the the uh, result was re- re- uh, reversed due to a disqualification. Uh, but when it, uh, we get to the early nineties, Ray was uh, was feeling a little bit worn out from wrestling, and he decided to retire. So with that, Jack was uh, was on his own. Uh, so as as WWF uh, did in those days, the the wrestler disappeared for a while, and then came back uh, under a whole new gimmick change. And uh, 
at the SummerSlam 1990, we got Jacques in his uh, probably his most infamous gimmick of the Mounter, who was a, a corrupt version of the the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Um, he made his uh, actual wrestling debut at the 91 Royal Rumble, uh, had a, an amazing feud with one of Paul's uh, wrestling heroes in The Big Boss Man. Classic uh, feud. It, it's, it's so funny. I mean, the wrestling was not brilliant, but the, the storyline was, was good. Like They wanted to be the only law enforcement uh, agency in the, in the WWF because it clearly <laughs> needed one. <laughs> But uh, his greatest achievement as a wrestler came in, in this transitional run. Uh, in the run-up to the uh, 1992 Royal Rumble, we had Bret Hart as the Intercontinental Champion, but he was actually looking to leave the company and go to WCW. But he'd actually calculated the end of his contract wrong, and by the time he tried to, to tell Vince that he was he was leaving... Uh, his contract had actually automatically rolled over for a, a year-long extension. Uh, so whilst... The old uh, broadband clause. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so whilst uh, Brett and Vince were kind of at loggerheads, uh, the, the company made the decision to take the title off Brett and put it on another face wrestler until the, the kind of heat between uh, the hitman and, and Vinnie Mac had died down. And with that, two days before the Rumble... Uh, Brett dropped the title to the Mountain, a house show. Now, the storyline was that Brett had this raging fever of 127 degrees, and the Mountain was taking advantage of that. And then, as he won the title, we get Roddy Piper coming out to be like the the, the saving uh, of Brett Hart, and that was the, the person who they were looking to put the title on uh, uh, in transition for, for Brett maybe coming back. Anyway, so we go to the Rumble and uh, Roddy Piper challenged uh, the Mountie for this title. And then after a, a very lacklustre five-minute match, Hot Rod wins what was his only singles title in the, the WWF. And that was also, it could be counted as a, a transitional uh, uh, title as well. Um, but the two-day reign of the Mountie is one of the shortest in uh, intercontinental title history. Uh, and he would obviously never reach those single hearts again. Uh, because um, it, the title went back to Brett at the very next pay-per-view, which was WrestleMania 8. Uh, they sorted out the contract uh, uh, issues with uh, with uh, Brett and Vince, and uh, Brett would then go on to be one of the, the better-known Intercontinental Champions and then obviously push to, to World Championship status. So my first pick is uh, Jacques Rougeau, the Mountie. <laughs> Amazing. Did you see the recent Nick Dinsmore post saying that Kevin Owens got ribbed, that he was going to be the new Mountie when he first signed? Oh, wow. <laughs> so when he I first signed and found off, out though. he trained under him, supposedly Nick Dinsmore, so Eugene, for those not familiar, had said, oh, we hate you. Like, you worked under him. I was like, yeah. I was like, great. Um, you're going to be the new Mountie. And you like Owens has denied it, but Eugene said that he was getting quite teary. He was like, no, you can't let him do this to me. Like, I can't be the new mountain. <laughs> Can you imagine Kevin Steen getting signed to WWE and then coming out as the Mountie? <laughs> wow. It works because it's so believable that they would do that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or, yeah. or Sami Zayn, even, as the, the Mountie. I'm surprised they didn't try and bum him without, without uh, giving... Both of them, the Mounties. <laughs> yeah, just the, the tag team, the Mounties. Wow. <laughs> 
Paul, you've been incredibly quiet. He's, uh, he's the mountain and his two-day intercontinental reign staying on the Mount Rushmore transitional champions. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it on. Because A is a great pick, and B, I feel you've shamed me a bit because I was so narrow-minded. I didn't look at other titles. I just looked at world titles. Ah. And I mean, to be fair, that going down my picks, that is the only uh, un, like, uh, second-tier title that I've gone with. So, so you, haven't got, you haven't got one of the famous hardcore champions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's on in permanent transition with, with, <laughs> with the, the 24-7 title. Uh, it, it, wow. it must be quite an odd pick as well because it, the Intercontinental title usually is like um, almost like a transitional title for the talent, isn't it? It's a stepping stone. They they kind of make their name in the Intercontinental and see if they can cut it as a world. It's, it, it's not a title you really think of as people being um, short-term holders of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the stepping stone for the mountain must have been wet, and he slipped backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if that was the the run that pushed the mountain into the world title picture? The <laughs> mountain is world champion. If Mountie had been world champion and never boss man, oh, I, I would have yes. fall, fallen out of love with wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow, uh, Kurt. With that, let's go to you for your third pick. I was tempted to say David Arquette. Oh. But I thought, I can't put that on there. <laughs> can, we, can we veto the guest? I mean, I don't even think that counts as transitional. That's just kind of trying to jump on the bandwagon of, of his of his popularity and use it as, as a rub for the title. But, yeah, I, I would veto that. I think I'd break the, the rules of Badlands and use my veto against, against Kurt. <laughs> nah, so this one, like, you may... I think it'd go under the radar for a lot of people, and... I'm going to take it over to TNA. And it would have been 2011 Bound for Glory series. Kurt Angle was the current champion. And there was the beer money. There was both in the Bound for Glory series. Storm didn't do great, but Bobby Roode, they did some great video packages. He transformed himself, and it was like everybody was behind him as the red-hot babyface. Kurt Angle cheats that win. And then I think it was like the next week on the next impact, James Storm gets given the opportunity. And that's my guy, James Storm, for the transitional champion. Talk about flipping the script. Storm, again, one of the biggest baby faces, all the stuff he's done with AMW and B Money, beats Kurt Angle for the world title. And it's that heartfelt moment. And then you have that match with Bobby Roode, where it's, hey, you're my friend, you deserved it. Angle cheated you. They have that match. A week ago, Bobby Roode was the biggest, arguably the biggest babyface Baron AJ Styles in the company. And they managed to make him the biggest heel in probably pro wrestling at that time with a fantastic match, couldn't get over the rope, uses the beer bottle, and that you've got the it factor. A new character was born. The new face of TNA for years was born just from Storm transitioning the title to Bobby Roode. I think at the time, The Rock was saying the factor, Bobby Roode was probably one of the best things in wrestling. So I think when, like, it's a shame that WWE shit the bed with him um, because I loved him in NXT. But I think when you do that transition to get somebody that for the first time ever gets built as a babyface singles guy and everybody loves it because it's new and it's somebody deserving to then flip the script and make him a heel by costing his best friend who's just done the same routes that he has 
incredible stuff. So yeah, James Storm deserves to be on that for a transition champion in the TNA World Title run. Yeah, another another great pick, and it, oh, that that kind of short run always felt like a a thank you from TNA for the the amount of that work that that James Stone had, had done for the company. I mean, like I said, it was uh, a huge with the America's Most Wanted. Beer Money was arguably the best tag team around yep. at that time. Definitely, um, and he's always had that kind of. Um, it would it would always be known as a tag team wrestler because of of those those two links. So for him to go on and, and at least be recognised as a world champion and then make the massive heel that that Bobby Roode became, yeah, it's a it's a an outstanding pick. And their feud like went on for a couple of years as well. So not only have you transitioned the belt to Roode and made him the biggest heel, you're the main storyline for like the next couple of years. I think they had a a no DQ where it was a blood fest at the next year's Bound for Glory. Like, talk about transitioning. That's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's brilliant the way they did it. It, it, it was shocking and it, it, was, it was just excellent. That's probably one of the best examples of a tag team breaking up. Yeah. That, yeah. that there's been. And, and breaking up at the heart of their their kind of fame and the heart yeah. of their skill level. Yeah. It, it's, you, you don't often get that. It's usually they kind of like overstay the welcome, but that was so perfectly done. Yeah. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Mr. Toller, am I going to veto this pick? Let's see. You, you might, you might, you might fancy a, a dabble with the veto at this one. Um, I, I, I didn't say much about um, Kurt's Tanahashi pick because I didn't want to give away that um, my pick is Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, again, I've gone for a particular, particular reign, and it's the, his most recent reign. Um, so let's go back to 2018, kind of New Japan Pro Wrestling, around a bit bit of a boom and we see the culmination of kind of the Okada and Omega era when Omega won the the IWGP championship from um, Okada at Dominion in a two out of three falls match. Now just five months later Kenny Omega will be handing in his notice to, to New Japan and off to form all elite with um, with his elite buddies. Um, now this was clearly not in New Japan's plans for Kenny Omega and, and for, it, for its title and it presented a number of problems. Um, it was probably too early to recrown Okada, who himself had just been on an epic 728-day title reign, which had been amended, which had been ended by Omega. I think they did well, and Okada did well for that not to feel like it was too long. But arguably, if he'd have been made champion at the following Wrestle Kingdom, uh, uh, fans might have got a bit tired. Um Naito was 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 already scheduled for the big money match versus Chris Jericho, and he was kind of on a the the longer term story arc of his own. And and looking around at the rest of the roster, there was really slim pickings for for who could be a, a credible next world champion, and not just be a world champion, but win it at the main event at the Tokyo Dome as well. So um, there was, however, uh, kind of a young upstart who'd had a 
incredible year and had kind of followed in in Kenny's Gaijin footsteps to ascend to Bullet Club leader and, and, and was almost, almost ready to, to, to be at the top. And that, of course, was Jay White. Um, at Wrestle Kingdom, he'd kind of get that big win against Okada, who he beat comfortably at Wrestle Kingdom. They kind of got in there ready to, to, to be a championship-level contender. So who better to to kind of both wipe wipe the slate clean of, of the elite and also kind of provide the potential for an aftershock of Jay White's Okada victory um, to to then go on and 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 be crowned as as legitimate world champion? And it was of course Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, I I think what Tanahashi did in that period between winning the the 2018 G1 and kind of beating Omega. Uh, at the main event of Wrestle Kingdom 13 was was just awesome because um, because what he did is you know Omega was riding a massive wave of popularity you know the elite were massive he was the most one of the most popular wrestlers in the world pro- touted as probably the greatest wrestler in the world at that time Golden Lovers had reunited again adding to that popularity Omega was huge and in a space of about three months Tanahashi made him the bad guy um, Tanahashi put it all on him, not not because he was leaving, because that was a secret, but but um, he made it clear that Omega wasn't New Japan and he never would be. Uh, his his style was too crude; it wasn't artistic enough for for, for New Japan, um, and he was becoming a bad influence on Kota Ibushi and and and, and ruining Kota Ibushi. And as the, as the months progressed, the fans were coming round to Tanahashi's side. I think, yeah, you're right. You're you're New Japan. It's, it's not Kenny Omega. Um, so, uh, Tanahashi in, in 2018, he'd, he'd gone from almost, almost a, a has been who was, who was almost crippled at the hands of, of Minoru Suzuki and, um, and he eclipsed Omega and Nakada's, um, feud, um, right. So, so to, to, to become the G1 Climax winner. Uh, and to become the hero who would, who would, who would banish uh, kind of this foreign pretender uh, forever, and to become IWGP champion, um, which probably may may have been for the last time. And um, he did all that just so. Thirty eight days later, um, the man who was kind of created in Omega's mold, if you like, uh, the new future of of New Japan, Jay White, could shock the world and beat him at the new beginning for his first IWGP title. I just think it was that that transitional type championship uh, in particular. It was kind of just selfless. It was class, and it was kind of befitting of, of the company ace. Like Kurt said, he's he's done it in the past, so so um, he he was here doing it again. And of course, essentially, White would become a bit of a, a somewhat of a transitional champion as well. But that was kind of out, out of necessity to give New Japan's biggest show on U.S. soil at that time. Um, ironically, at Bruno Sammartino's home, Madison Square Garden. So he could be kind of the worst of the heels versus the most heroic of faces, and uh, and and lose to Okada um, uh, at MSG. Yeah, definitely. It's a a great great pick, and I mean all the the um, uh, kind of like plaudits I give Kurt for for having the same pick. It would be remiss of me to to be a turncoat and and veto that. <laughs> um, but I am going to read to it. Um, <laughs> and I don't think you're going to like who I'm going to replace him with. Uh, I'm going to replace him with JBL. 
Okay. Um, now, in modern day wrestling, especially in the WWE, it's it's hard to justify looking at a 250 plus day reign and calling it transitional. But I do believe that this is very much the case with JBL. Uh, after Brock uh, Lesnar left WWF in 2004, we had Benoit uh, drafted to Raw. Eddie Guerrero wanted some time out of the main uh, event picture. And we had Kurt Angle suffering from a, a, a multitude of injuries. Um, then couple that with the fact that Triple H uh, didn't want to move to SmackDown, uh, something that, uh, if you remember, Paul Heyman mentioned in, in his uh, shoot promo at East one night stand. Uh, the blue brand was uh, definitely in need of a of a new star at the top of the tree. Now, at the time, we we had John Cena as the US champion. He was uh, he was getting over hugely with the WWE universe, uh, but Vince felt that he wasn't quite ready to be that main event player. Uh, and then you'd have the the likes of Orton and Batista who would eventually join uh, in uh, the Spanish roster in 2005. Um, so with that, we got one of the uh, the most contrasting gimmick changes uh, that I think we've seen in wrestling for a long while with uh, with the transition from APA Bradshaw to uh, to the JBL character who was a, a pro American uh, stock trading millionaire heel gimmick. Uh, the Longhorn Loudmouth, uh, he won the uh, WWE title from Eddie Guerrero, Great American Bash in uh, 2004. Uh, he actually initially challenged at Judgment Day and, and won the match, but it was via disqualification. And JBL would have uh, quite significant feuds with The Undertaker, uh, where he retained at SummerSlam and, and No Mercer. He'd face Kurt Angle, Big Show, Booker T. Uh, and he'd actually carry the title all the way to uh, WrestleMania 21. And whilst he was uh, he was uh, carrying that WF title, his WrestleMania opponent was was being able to be groomed for for, for that stardom. Uh, so after winning the US title at, at WrestleMania 20, Cena was was well on the way to being one of the the most popular wrestlers, not only on the roster but in in the wrestling world. Uh, and he elevated that US title with feuds with Booker, where he had the the amazing Best of Five series, and then the feud with Carlito, where he got stabbed by uh, Jesus, uh, and then obviously the the Royal Rumble that was a uh, marred in controversy when he and Batista both uh, eliminated each other at the same time, which meant we got the uh, the angry stomping Vincent Man storming the ring. Popping out both his quads, uh, lambasting both wrestlers, and then restarting the match, which eventually Batista did win. Uh, but Cena's spot was uh, was confirmed for WrestleMania when he uh, won a number one contenders tournament, uh, beating Kurt uh, in the finals at No Way Out, and then he would drop that US title to uh, Orlando Jordan. Uh, when JBL in, uh, interfered, which kind of telegraphed that we were going to see uh, a new champion at, at WrestleMania. And we did see that at WrestleMania 21, uh, Cena won uh, the WWE title and ended uh, the transitional reign of JBL, uh, which lasted 280 days, which uh, for me makes him one of the, the, the greatest transitional champions of all time uh, to carry a company uh, in in such a transition for, for the best part of a year. Um, and and also become the longest reigning uh, champion on, in SmackDown history, uh, a record that that would only be beaten 13 years later by AJ Styles. Uh, yeah, I've gone for to replace 
to replace Hiroshi Tanahashi, I've gone with John Bradshaw Layfield. Deserving. Oh, that felt good. It felt it felt like <laughs> weight has come off my shoulders. I've been able to veto Paul for once. Yeah. <laughs> it was a reasonable it was a reasonable pick. They both did their job. They both did their job. You know, Tanahashi Tanahashi created uh, not created, but but took Jay White to that next level. And as you say, JBL, that allowed that time for Cena to go to that next level. Now, mm-hmm. Jay White is, is a one-time world champion and John Cena's a, I don't know, 15-time world champion or whatever it is. Um, so so, so I'll, 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 I'll allow it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think there's a lot you could do about it, but um, I appreciate the fact that you're allowing it. <laughs> it makes me feel better if I allow it. I'll let him veto me. I wanted him to veto me. <laughs> Kurt, let's go back to you to round yours off, sir. Um, I think, like, going to the Tanahashi one, though, I think it's, although Jay White isn't John Cena, I think when we look back at Jay White's career five years' time, I think that short title reign is going to be the foundation of Jay White becoming that megastar and obviously beating Tanahashi. So I think it's... It's the first piece of the puzzle for a longer story, I think, there. I don't think he was quite ready for the Okada level, but... Um, yeah, and, and, and the thing um, with New Japan is first-time champions historically only get a relatively short reign. Anyway, if you look back at Okada, only had a uh, quite a short reign. Omega, uh, obviously, with, with leaving, the, it kind of uh, uh, doesn't really count, but then you look at Evil, uh, they're trying to. They were trying to push him as a as a uh, as a uh, a competitive challenger at the top, and he got a short reign. Nato's first reign was was relatively short, so there there is kind of the history there of a first time IWGP champions having short reigns, and then going on to doing things like uh, Tanahashi did and and uh, Okada did. So the future is definitely bright for J, uh, for Jay White, and I think he's arguably the best actual heel in the business today he really knows his character and i'm i'm sure he's going to be a fixture at the top of that uh rwgp ladder for a long long time definitely yeah and and i think i think um we we don't know but i i imagine that 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 rain came earlier than they wanted it to i think i think if omega didn't leave omega would have won at wrestle kingdom and and would have carried on for a bit so it, it was very is very well done to get him ready by beating Okada and then beating Tanahashi in in that way inside a month, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and and to make it legitimate. And I think that that's testament to how good of a booker Gado actually is. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and and how talented Jay White is. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Um, so, so, Kurt, let's go for your last pick then, sir. My last one kind of plays from my first. Obviously, I mentioned all the Rock's fantastic transitions and one of the biggest ones being Brock Lesnar. I think Brock's one of the biggest transitional champions there is. At the time of him taking the belt off the Rock, like I said, it was a passing of the torch of here's the new big guy in town. And I think... From his, it's going to be like one of those where it's a career. And I did Storm and uh, Tanahashi's single reigns, but I think Brock just had so many different fantastic transitions. There was a short one with Big Show when Big Show turned heel with Paul Heyman, and that allowed him to feud where it was Big Show, Kurt Angle, and Lesnar toying with the title. 
Um, Lesnar gets it back, then drops it to Kurt, then drops it back in a fantastic feud between Angle and Lesnar. And that built to one of the biggest title changes in WWE history. I think Brock going through Big Show and Kurt Angle like he has, and then all the other people in between, to then drop the belt at No Way Out to Eddie. Like, Eddie, Eddie gets a massive reaction, no matter what, for becoming champion doesn't get as big of a reaction if it wasn't Brock Lesnar that he beat, in my opinion, because yeah. you've got the unbeatable beast and you've got the more like a cruiserweight Eddie Guerrero getting that win. So I think I think that was the big one. And then obviously Brock went and returns years later. And at that time, Cena, who, who can beat John Cena? He's constantly the champion. Somebody will take the belt, soon goes back to Cena. Brock returns, fantastic feud with Cena, takes the belt off Cena. Somebody believe, excuse me, somebody believable, has a fantastic run, and it seems like right Roman's taking the belt. Rollins cashes in at WrestleMania. Before we know it, Rollins is now a megastar. And I think when you looked at Shield, everybody was looking at Ambrose and Reigns. They're the two that are going to break out. If Shield break up, what's next for Rollins? And I think Rollins getting that win it catapulted him up there. And I think what Lesnar has done for Rollins' career has been fantastic, obviously letting that happen, but then also becoming Universal Champion, beating Goldberg to drop to Rollins again at Mania to win it back and then drop it to Rollins again. Lesnar rarely loses. And somebody the stature and the size of Rollins has been able to get it done. And I think Rollins isn't a leading star of the company, if it wasn't for Brock putting him over the way he has over his career. And then not to mention the most recent one, I think what Brock has done for Drew McIntyre, the sell in the Royal Rumble after absolutely steamrolling half of the Rumble to get Claymore out. And then the sell afterwards, like Brock Lesnar's, I don't care, he's one of the best workers. If he wants to work, he can work. If he wants to sell, it's going to be harder to find somebody to outsell him. And I think when you look at it, with the main Eddie Guerrero becoming champion for the first time, Seth Rollins becoming champion for the first time and then getting the Universal title, Drew McIntyre finally becoming WWE champion. Brock Lesnar's made three megastars through those title changes. It's a hell of a record. Yeah. He doesn't get the credit he deserves. Yeah. No, no we you, say that a lot on the here. Nail on the head. Yeah, we absolutely adore Brock Lesnar and we do believe that once he's gone will miss his kind of gravitas in wrestling. But you're right, he, he's always known his worth and he's always known when he's putting someone over, that person is a made man. And like I said, Eddie Guerrero, Seth Rollins, um, the, Drew McIntyre, the list goes on and on. He he makes wrestlers when he when he loses the title. So uh, whilst it, it, on the face of it, you could probably say he doesn't look like a typical transitional champion, uh, with especially with those like really long, almost outstanding welcome style reigns. Um, yeah, when he makes when he drops a title, he does make a, a wrestler, and, and that's what a transitional champion should do. I think it should build the next star. Uh, so yeah, it's a, a great pick. Thank you. Now, to me, am I going to survive an episode? without a veto and I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna be able to pull this off with uh with my pick because it's uh one of Paul's secret favourite wrestlers. Um I'm going with I'm going with Triple H. Okay. 
Now, uh, we all know Triple H had this uh, reign of terror in uh, 2002 to 2005, and it's it's often looked at as as a, a period in wrestling where Triple H really started to kind of exert his influence over the 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 wrestling world as part of the the man in a circle, and where he started burying talent that perhaps should have been elevated as stars. Uh, during those uh, those three or four years, the cerebral assassin ran rampant throughout the roster. I uh, went over majority of the stars that came in from WCW and ECW, and even a lot of the the WWF's own Attitude Era stars. I uh, carried the the title uh, for most of those years, defeating the likes of Goldberg, Steiner, Jericho, Shawn Michaels, RVD, so on and so on. He had feuds uh, with his former uh, Evolution stablemate, Randy Orton. And then, uh, obviously, we can't kind of overlook the terrible booking of the feud going into WrestleMania 19 with Booker T, where there were just rampant, casual racism, the burial of Booker T's accomplishments in WCW, uh, the, the classing him of, as, as a criminal. Uh, and that all led to what should have been a happy ending with uh, Booker T overcoming all those hurdles, uh, putting his way and and really kind of a star-making performance uh, as world champion uh, after WrestleMania. But instead, Trips won the match uh, in a result that this has been unanimously uh, hated by the wrestling community. But towards the the end of this reign of terror, uh, and in, in quite a similar kind of vein as the, the JBL one, uh, Trips was... Uh, was positioned as a transitional champion for for a wrestler that was involved in that that botched 2005 Royal Rumble, uh, the eventual winner, Big Bad uh, Dave Batista. So David spent some time sitting under the learning tree of Trips and Ric Flair. Uh, he'd, he'd been a part of Evolution when he saw Randy Orton break out and become a star, and it was eventually Dave's time to to hit the main event spotlight. Uh, Trips had won back the World Heavyweight title at New Year's Revolution in the Elimination Chamber match uh, when the, the title had been uh, uh, stripped off him uh, in the triple threat with Edge and Benoit, which meant the title was vacant going into that Elimination Chamber. Uh, and then he sensed his, his, his prodigy was becoming a huge star. Trips did all he could to convince, first of all, Dave not to enter the Royal Rumble at all. And then when he uh, when he realised that uh, Batista had won the Royal Rumble, he tried to push Dave into challenging for the WWE title instead of his uh, his prized uh, World Heavyweight Championship. Exactly. Um, uh, even went as far as to concoct a scheme where it, uh, he saved Dave from being run over by uh, a limousine that was very very similar to to JBL's. But Dave was a. Uh, uh, he overheard his uh, fellow Evolution uh, team members plotting against him, and this led to uh, the contract signing to face Triple H, and he gave uh, Trips the thumbs down before powerbombing uh, the game through through the table. And uh, uh, WrestleMania goes Hollywood. Uh, Batista ended the the transitional run of Triple H, and also subsequently ended the. Uh, the three to four year uh, Triple H reign of terror. So my last pick and hopefully staying on this Mount Rushmore is uh, is Triple H as transitional champion. Got anything to say about that one, Kurt? I'm nervous. Triple H has made stars with his title loss and that's what titles are supposed to be. That's what transitions are supposed to be about. 
yes, you have the transition where they're just back and forth dropping like some people, but like, say, Sasha Banks. But I think when you look at Triple H and, again, making of Batista and Orton and the likes of that, I think Triple H has to be on there. However, I am very intrigued in who your Vita replacement <laughs> is. As, as if it's a certainty that Paul is going to beat us. I think um, Triple H, my favourite Triple H uh, transitional run, I can't, can't remember what year it was, um, is at No Mercy when he did, when he pulled Triple Duty. And he, uh, he, he, won, he, he won the title at the start of the night. Um, and, and then I think he dropped it to Randy Orton at the end. And I think, I, I can't remember the full details, but I think there was a load of wrestlers who got injured or got ill. And he basically had to go in and save a, save a pay-per-view. Um, and he did no, it. Uh, 2007? I think it was about that. It's around about that era, yeah. I, I, I think when, when there's a shift to be, shift to be uh, worked, Triple H is amazing. Mm-hmm. And he, he go in and he will just, put his life on the line to save the show. I mean, he's wrestled through two horrific injuries and finished the matches. Yep. Um, well, the Saudi Arabia one was, <laughs> it was hardly a classic, but, but he still, he still carried on for, for the money. Um, <laughs> but I am going to veto. Oh, Paul. I, I can't believe one of the most shocking transitional championships of all time hasn't been mentioned. So, I'm going to give it to Mr. Bob Backlund. <laughs> Back in 1994, I mean, this, this truly was shocking. Um, 1994, Bob Backlund, who was, uh, his, his gimmick was, was, was crazy. Um, quite literally, a, a, a crazy old man who, um, you know, old man yelling at cloud kind of thing. Um <laughs> And he had a he had a match against Bret Hart at Survivor Series, kind of bang in the middle of the card. There's, there's no way Bob Backlund's winning that, um, and he did. Uh, he, tr- uh, he was a transitional champion because uh, he he beat Bret for the title there, and he lost it two days later to Diesel on a house show. Um, there doesn't seem to be any obvious reason of needing to separate um, Bret Hart and Diesel and not doing the title change there, although kind of similar like i said with san martino and morales earlier um they brett and these were actually the two, the two hottest faces of the time um and perhaps they felt that would have been a either that wouldn't have worked right then or or, or it would have been a waste of of that feud so uh, but there were also other conveniences wf were looking to to copycat george foreman's world title win who was who'd also won uh won at boxing in it at the same age of um well, back when they were 45, and the commentary made a, a big deal of that throughout the match, that Bob Backlund could could uh, could do the same as George Foreman had done, and also can the 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 mat the gimmick of the match, which was uh, which was you could only win if your opponent's valet threw the towel in, was kind of synonymous with um with with an angle Backlund had done in the past, and also it was a perfect way to play on kind of the emotional aspect of the Hart family storyline that they were doing at the time. So it kind of, it all worked and it all came together and it all made sense, but it was still really shocking. Um, Backlund had already been a WF champion back in 1978 and he himself held the title for a staggering 2,135 days, Madness. which, which uh, 
that that wasn't a transitional ring. Um, but in 1994, as I say, he came back to WF. He started this gimmick as a kind of an old timer, out to teach the new generation a thing or two. And his primary target was was Bret Hitman Hart. Um, they had one one match prior, which Bret won, um, and infuriated Bob Backlund by by offering a kind of a patron what what Bob saw as a patronizing handshake. Backlund snapped, locked Hart in the uh, in in the chicken wing submission hold, and that kind of really set up the whole story of their match which was the chicken wing versus the sharpshooter which was the most deadly um submission hold so we cut the survivor series let's say the only way to win was for your valet to throw in the towel brett's valet was davy boy smith backlands was brett's brother owen who'd kind of extricated himself from the family at that point they had the entertaining kind of technical match it was quite cool to see um it really very much was the kind of the clash of the old school and new school technical wrestlers. And when Brett came to lock in the sharpshooter, Owen interfered, broke it. As Bulldog chased Owen around the ring, he tripped over and knocked himself unconscious on the steps. Ackland kind of in, in, in the melee locked in his chicken wing on Brett and kept him locked in it for eight minutes. Um, obviously Bulldog knocked out, was unable to throw, throw Brett's towel in, even though he was clearly struggling, but wasn't going to give up. And what followed in that match was just an absolute masterclass of emotional manipulation from from Owen, as he cried with remorse at ringside. He pleaded with um, Brett's pa- Brett and his parents, Steve and Martha, who were at ringside, to to spare Brett a broken heart, arm, or worse, because they've got Christmases to spend together and Thanksgiving stuff to spend together. Because you can't do that with a broken arm, apparently. Um, and, and eventually. Martha couldn't take any more, and she grabbed Brett's pink and black towel and threw it into the ring, much to Steve's disgust. And uh, and to the shock of the crowd, which again fell silent because they couldn't believe what happened, and to the absolute kind of treacherous delight of Owen, who uh, ran and jumped up the ramp um, <laughs> like a pleased schoolboy. And and so so Bob Backlund became champion. Like I said. Diesel defeated him a few days later, not even on TV. Uh, and crucially, Bret Hart and Diesel had, had been saved for another day, and they would go on to have quite a, quite a decent feud a year later. So I think I think Bob Backlund, as shocking as it was, actually a really good transitional reign to get it from one one great face in Bret to the next one, Diesel. It's a great use of the veto. It was that was literally the first kind of. Uh, Transitional reign that came into my mind when when uh, we came up with this topic. So I can't, as much as I want to, I can't hate that pick. What would happen if I tried veto in the veto? <laughs> You've got to bring up another one. <laughs> yeah, have you got, have got, have got any more in your locker? It's never happened in the history of, uh, of Badlands, but... I ain't, I ain't got it in me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were doing the usual Badlands of dancing around the obvious answer. I thought we can't do it tonight. We've got to have the Bob Backlund one on there. And you've saved your boy Triple H from being on a Mount Rushmore. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) As Kurt said, arguably Triple H does does deserve to be on there. He he has made a lot of people with a lot lot of title rings. But But not as much as Bob Bob Backlund made (laughs) me. Because he really made Diesel as a WWF <laughs> champion. One of the lowest drawing uh, WWF champions of all time. Yeah. <laughs> great great job, Bob. Great job. <laughs> Wasn't even on TV. 
<laughs> that's how bad it is. <laughs> but this has been so much fun. It's it's way too long uh, since you've uh, you've been on our show, Kurt. And yeah, let's make sure it's not that long before you're back again. Um, let's uh, let all the the Badlands listeners know where they can uh, find your absolutely amazing content. Where they can they can uh, go and follow you on social media and and uh, get in contact with you. Uh, so social media, just K Johansson Show on Twitter. I am now using Facebook and Instagram a lot more just because Scandinavian wrestlers rarely use Twitter. Um, mm. So I'm having to try and adjust to essentially my target audience. So again, the K Johansson Show on Facebook and Instagram, that'll give you all the news of different interviews I've got coming up. Um, again, YouTube is my main source. I do a lot of video content now. Um, I release on audio with like Spotify and Podbean. I think it might be on iTunes. Who knows? I don't care about the audio side of things. I, I, I just put it on Podbean, let that send it wherever, and just kind of focus on the um, video aspects. So, yeah, you can find me on there. You can find me over at uh, Wrestle Carnival as well, an exciting new promotion coming in the UK. Um, i for that. I know it'll be it'll be great and. I'm their interviewer as well, so I've interviewed Dave Bradshaw, James R. Kennedy, Kanji, and then a couple of their new sponsors uh, with rest, uh, WrestleCares and Blokes. And then you can find me at Fees Females as well on their YouTube, on their video on-demand service as well, where I do review shows with Aisha Raymond, Big Fem Vader. We get to sit down, review some of the female shows, and I can interview some of the talent, which will go on there first before it goes on to my own content. Yeah, you, it's it's so good to see one of our kind of brethren really making moves in in content, and we always knew that you had had that in you, and we're so glad that you you didn't let that that light down and yeah the, the 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 mad run that you've had recently on youtube and releasing so much top quality interviews i don't know how you did it that is literally burning the candle at both ends especially knowing uh what's been going on with uh with uh having a, a, a new baby and stuff like that you absolutely smashed out the park man long may <laughs> continue no i did what 17 interviews in 17 days at one point yeah so that, that was just a release date. I'd done more within that time frame um, to kind of like celebrate the one year of my own show. And I've got some potential exciting guests in the new year. I'm not recording anything else for the remainder of 2020 as we're recording on the 16th. From like, this was actually my last podcast or show that I'm wow. doing of the year. Um, I've got more to release that I've already recorded, but I thought. I'm going to give myself a rest. Cause you it, you it, absolutely deserve it. it. Absolutely it's been tired. Uh, Feels like we should uh, do a rendition of Old Lanzine if it's uh, <laughs> Kurt's last one of the year. I'll leave That's that to you we, two. But we've, got to, we've got to keep our our small band of listeners, Paul. I don't think singing out Old Lanzine would uh, would help with the the numbers. Uh, no, but thank that, you for coming on. Like, I'll definitely have to get you on my show when I come up with some sort of format that isn't just interviewing wrestlers that's been my main content recently but i do want to start looking into other stuff but as you know max i won't do anything unless i've got something polished and that's original um which hopefully people will find with my interviews so yeah check them out and just keep supporting badlands as well because you boys are doing fantastic stuff 
Thank you, we appreciate Thank that. You. We'll, we're always available to, to support uh, you, Kurt. So if you ever need a guest or anything like that, give us a shout. I'm trying to push Tolly here to, uh, <laughs> to branching out and being uh, on other, other shows. Uh, and it's slowly working. He's, he's very kind of a... He's, uh, he doesn't want to do it, but I'm making him kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Have you not appeared on another show yet, Tolly? I've appeared on a few, not many. Mags, Magsy pimps me out a fair bit. <laughs> it sounds so the expensive. sordid. <laughs> Not a hundred percent of the fee. That's all I charge. I enjoy it when I'm there, but I do. I I am really nervous about going on other other people's shows. I I really str- struggle with uh, with getting myself up for it. And I, I I'm good 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 friends with Darren now, so um, this I look forward to this every week now. But um, even this to begin with was really daunting. I'll have to get you on the show. Like, hopefully, you'll be a little bit more confident. We can get Mags on as well, and I'll try and think. Oh, of you don't have to. Yeah, just ignore. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, try, I'll try. I'll try and think of some something we can chat about. That'll be fun. Yeah. Well, if you only interview wrestlers, me and Darren could have a fight. We could have a we could have a wrestling match, and uh... trying to trying to split yes. our relationship already. When... Once he's over the okay, corona, obviously. And, and now you're trying to, <laughs> trying to split us up. I'm not being a transitional champion for Paul. I'm which not putting Paul over. In the background, were you transition? Not which at all. Which belt were you transition? Do, do you really think Mr. Tallier is worthy of the AW World Towel or the... Uh, <laughs> The the IWGP US. I might get a never towel yeah. just just for Paul. He's like Moxley with that US Championship. It's never <laughs> going anywhere. Part with it. <laughs> <laughs> never part with it. Um, I have got uh, the block um, logo Intercontinental Title Belt wrapped up for Christmas. The the missus got me that. Nice. So yeah, can't wait to to pretend I'm macho man. Need a new shelf. Yeah. There you go. He's gonna be the Mountie. Yeah, he's transition it to you. <laughs> you could be Roddy Parper. He's gonna get it on Christmas Day, and he's losing Howdy the day Tolly Parper. I'll get myself a kilt. Yeah. Welsh people can wear kilts, can't they? They're allowed. Bit wow. cold in the valleys, though. Might like the breeze. <laughs> oh, this is this podcast is going well off the rails now. Um, Tolly, your favorite time of the week. It is. Kurt's answered one of life's great mysteries. Because you always see these, um, you always see these um, like lifestyle polls, don't you? And the Scandinavians are always the most satisfied countries in the world. And I think he's just answered why they they don't use Twitter. Yeah, it must be. Um, but we <laughs> do, we do, and you can find us. Um, Darren's over at Edge Kirkby, D E J Kirkby. I'm at Rain Counter, and we're both at Badlands Pod. Um, so go give us a follow over there and then go to your um, favourite podcast provider and subscribe to Visionaries Global Media shoot in the sports-ish Five Nerds Go and the Cheer Shop Media Group and you'll find all sorts of wonderful wrestling and and other podcasts that sometimes feature our voices, sometimes feature some other great voices in the the wrestling fandom Um, yeah, go, go subscribe to those and Give, give us some ratings to you know let the algorithm do his magic or whatever it does I don't understand it um and 
if you do that, if, we, if you do the Chair Shot, Chair Shot Media Group one, we'll be back next Thursday and every Thursday with another Badlands if you've enjoyed this. So look out for that. Um, stay safe, everyone. Hope you have. I'm going to wish you a wonderful Christmas because it's kind of almost Christmas here, but this is probably coming out in February. So I hope you had a lovely Christmas. <laughs> I think it's the end of January. I think it's the end of January. <laughs> I hope you enjoy For Valentine's context, Day. I'm seven weeks ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and Easter as well. Um, yeah. Take care. <laughs> See you next week. Chairshot.com. Always use your head. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off. My rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.